0: If you were here last week, we we started a little mini-series that I've titled, Trust the Process. And last week, we talked about the importance of trusting the process in the midst of struggle. That in life, we're going to have struggles regardless of where you're at. And so if I'm going to struggle, I might as well get something good out of it, right? And so we, we spent some time going through that. And one of the things that we hit on... Is something that I'd like to expound on just a little bit more this morning. If you're taking notes, the title for today is trust the process and specifically when it comes to having patience. How many in this room would say, I need patience? Come on now. The others, you didn't raise your hand because you know what that means, right? When you ask for patience. Some of you are like, I know I need it, but I don't want it. I don't want the way that it comes. But, but here's the reality of it. All right, let me explain what I, when I mean. When I say trust the process, this is what I mean the process of becoming more like Christ. This spiritual journey that we're on is a journey. It's a process. We're not overnight successes, right? We might be saved immediately, but there is a process of becoming more and more like Christ. And so this process is oftentimes difficult for a lot of us to endure because, like uh, Jessica was saying earlier, we're used to immediate gratification. We're used to immediate success. We're used to Pushing a button and something happens. We're used to, like, even now with AI, where you just put in a few commands and you get a whole essay and you can get all your homework done or all your job work done. And so we're just used to quick, fast, immediate. And everything we develop is to make our lives quicker, faster, and more immediate gratification. But that is not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is methodical, God is not in a hurry. God, as a matter of fact, on purpose oftentimes slows you down and slows the process down because he's at work in it, and that often is the most frustrating thing because we want to be where we want to be already, and we get so frustrated that we're not at that level, that we haven't reached that goal, that we keep struggling in some of the same sins, that we keep fighting some of the same battles, and it gets to the point where we feel like, I don't know if I can do this, but the key it's patience. I remember when I was a little kid and I just saw my sister in the back. Uh, there was, uh, when I was, you know, I'm a original NES player, right? I'm a Nintendo Entertainment System Mario Brothers was my jam. And listen, for all the young bucks in the room right now, you don't understand the struggle. When you were a kid and you committed to a game, you sat there and you finished it. There was no save. There was no memory cards. There was no way of going back to it. As a matter of fact, there were some nights where I would be so far in a game it'd be in the middle of the night, I had to go to bed, where you would just leave everything on. You would turn the TV off, but the system was on, and then you woke up in the morning and you try to pick up right where you left off because you just had to do it. finish the game. And so I remember there was often times I'm playing Mario and then around, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, I started training my little sister, Jenny, and how to play Mario with me because, you know, I needed somebody to play with. And so I'm teaching her and she'd get frustrated. And then I'd always say the same thing. I'd always look to her and i go, Jenny, like the old guru that I was sitting there scratching my long beard. I said, Jenny, what's the key to this game? Jenny, you remember the key to the game? Patience. Patience. That's how good of a teacher I was. Two decades later, she remembers. I said, you can't rush Mario, man. You you gotta, this is patience, okay? You can't just run ahead and fall in one of those pipes. You're gonna die. Like, you gotta slow. You gotta let the game come to you, Jenny. You gotta be patient. And listen, that's true for us in our spiritual walk. There there are certain things that you, you just gotta be patient with. You just gotta give it time. Trying to go harder, faster, quicker doesn't make it better. Some of you think that just because you turn the heat off the dish is going to get cooked faster. No, it's going to get burned faster. Some of you just got to let that thing simmer. You just got to wait and you got to be willing to be patient. Now, where do I get in all this from? I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. This first verse is really great for this series. Listen to what it says. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Let me just pause right there. You have everything you need to be successful in your walk with the Lord. Everything you need. God has equipped you at the moment of salvation. You have access to and the ability to accomplish and do all that God has called you to do in life by his divine power. We have received all of this by coming to know him. So the moment you say yes to Jesus, you receive it. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. He has given us a great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises supplement your faith. Now, I love that word supplement. This means in addition to. So you have everything you need by the grace of God, by his divine power to live according to what he has called you to live by, to be the Christian that God has called you to be. Now, he's saying that because you need to understand we're not gonna accomplish that within our own efforts and our own strength. However, we can supplement what God has given us, meaning add to. So if you eat healthy, that's great, but then sometimes you supplement your diet with vitamins, a little bit of extra stuff that maybe you don't get in some of your meals. It's a supplement. It's in addition to. My kids, they get their Flintstone vitamins or their one-a-days. I don't know what my wife gives them. She gives them something. They get their stuff. And it's, it's, it's in order to give them that additional thing. And so here's what God is saying. He's saying, listen, you have everything you need. However, supplement your faith with generous provision, of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now, we don't have time today to go through all eight of these supplements, but I would like to focus in on just that one, patient endurance. Patient endurance. Now, I don't normally do this, but I think it's important for what we're talking about today. Uh, If you didn't know, the Bible is not written in English originally, right? It's written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And this particular passage was written in Greek. And the Greek word that they use there for patient endurance is hupomone. Hupomone is a Greek word, hupo, which means under, meno, which means to stay, remain, and abide. This literally means to abide under, okay? To stay under. It's used at least 32 times in the New American Standard Bible, uh, and it's often translated in multiple ways. Uh, It's translated and using the word endurance, patient, enduring, perseverance, steadfastness. The the beauty of the Greek language is they had uh, multiple words that meant multiple things and, and there was just a beauty behind the language. And so huponume could be used as a verb, as a noun and in different ways and it would mean different things depending on how it was used in scripture. In other words, yes, it means patience, but it means so much more than just patience. It's not patience in the way that we often view patience because we often think of patience as just sitting idly by and waiting. But hupunumeo is so much more than that. As a matter of fact, the scholar Barclay, I love what he wrote about this word in particular. He says, hupunumeo does not mean the patience which sits down and accepts things, but the patience which masters them. It is not the patience that sits down and accepts it. That's a lot of times what we think patience is. It is what it is. You can't do anything about it. Sit down, shut up, and just accept it. No, Hupunumeo is the patience which masters them. It is not some romantic theme which lends us wings to fly over the difficulties and the hard places. It is a determination, unhurrying and yet undelaying, which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected. Obstacles do not daunt it, and discouragements do not take its hope away. It is the steadfast endurance which carries us on until, in the end, it gets there. Hupunumeo is so much more powerful than just being patient, it is patience in action. And so, there's a few things that I like to uh, kind of chime in on, Uh, I was just looking in the scriptures and in the New Testament and a few places where the Holy Spirit has used this word. And I think it's important to understand kind of the progression of this and what it means for you and I today. And so if you're taking notes, the first kind of patience that I wanna look at is patient enduring. What is patient enduring? It's never giving up. Again, trust the process. Sometimes we can get so frustrated in the process that we throw our hands in the air and say it's not worth it. I give up. I quit. I've tried. I've tried. I tried to stop swearing. I tried to stop looking at porn. I tried to stop drinking. I tried to do this. I, try. I keep trying and I keep failing, and I don't like feeling like a failure. And so, you know what? I'm just not going to do it anymore. I give up. I throw my hands in the air. And the problem is we get frustrated because we're not where we want to be, and yet we don't recognize that we're also not where we used to be. Hey, listen, I get it. You may not be all the way there yet, but you have to recognize that you're also not where you started. You have progress. You have made a way. It may not be as quickly as you want. It may not be as powerfully as you want, but you are going to continue to get there if you choose to not give up. The problem is too many of us choose the easy route. Because quitting is easier than trying. Because quitting is easier than moving forward. Too many of us succumb to what our life is, not because it's hard, but because quitting is easier. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter one, verse three through six. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Listen, some of us don't get to the point of comfort because we quit during the time of suffering. There will be relief. There will be a moment where you'll cross that line and you'll have an opportunity to catch your breath. There is a moment where you're going to get there, but you got to get there. You got to be willing to endure. You got to be willing to stay under. No matter how hard the wind blows, no matter how hard the waves crash, you got to be able to say, hey, listen, I'm going to get there because there's going to be comfort on that end. I remember there was a time uh, I was on vacation in Puerto Rico. It was like 2008. Me and a bunch of youth leaders went, and uh, it was time of our life. We were having a great time, and every day, somebody got to pick an excursion that we would do, and so we went parasailing, and we went to the bioluminescent bay. Every day was something awesome, and then one guy wanted to really go snorkeling. Now, I had never been snorkeling. That's not my thing, I'm not. we don't live by an ocean, why would I snorkel? And so it's not my thing, but he had some gear, some janky gear, and, uh, and we all put it on and we're like, all right, we're gonna go. And there was this tiny little island about 100 yards off of the coast, and somebody's like, hey, there's a sand barge that goes about 50 yards, you can walk half of it, and then you just snorkel, the rest is really nice reef out there, you know, you'll enjoy it. I said, all right, cool. Man, I got five steps, and there was no more sand barge. Like, it was 200 feet deep, like I was swimming, right? And so I'm trying to snorkel. Now, again, I'm not good at this. I've never done it. There's water going in my tube. There's water going in my goggles. I'm spitting it up. I'm not, I'm not used to the ocean. There's all this salt going in my face. I'm like, this is terrible. And so I think you wouldn't know. I'm drowning in my goggles. I might as well just take them off. Now, snorkeling 100 yards is easy because you're mostly floating. I didn't get that. So now I'm swimming. And I'm swimming to this little island and my friends don't notice me because they're looking down in their snorkel. So they're kicking me in the face with their fins and they're brushing me out. And I'm literally starting to drown now. I'm like, dude, I can't do this. I'm getting exhausted. I'm, my, my muscles are starting to atrophy. My asthma starting to kick in. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm gonna die on vacation. How stupid is that? Like I'm supposed to die in a blaze of glory, saving orphans from a burning building. Like not on vacation in Puerto Rico. That is not how my story ends. And so I'm, like, getting frustrated and freaking out, and, and I'm, for a moment, it's one of those things, like, oh, man, for real, like, I'm going to die. And I remember there was a little boat on the island, a little boat that was crashed onto the shore, and it, on the back it said vive, which translated means live. And I go, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and so I blocked everything out, and I just swam directly towards that. And I stopped thinking about what I couldn't do and what may happen and what's gonna, and I just focused, live, 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 live. And I ignored the muscle atrophy and I ignored my lungs running out of air and I ignored everyone kicking me around me and I swam so ferociously to that boat. I didn't even get to it before I crashed on some reef and like busted up my knee. I'm bleeding thinking sharks are gonna get me now. And I'm like holding on to the reef, like breaking it. I'm like, I know this is inappropriate. You're not supposed to touch him, but I'd rather you die than me. Um, but I made it. And why did I make it? Cause I was a good swimmer because no, no, no. I made it for one reason alone. I refused to give up. See, I could have easily just succumbed to the situation. I could have just said, you know what? Vacation death it is. <laughs> but I refused to give up. Not without a fight. That's the thing, yo. Like, Thank God I'm very grateful that I've never had any kind of suicidal ideations. But I think part of that is because there were just way too many times in my life where I almost died. I have fought very hard to live. And I'm just, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep pushing forward no matter what comes my way. I'm never going to give up. There's a man by the name of Sir Winston Churchill, a very famous Prime Minister of England, probably one of the most famous Prime Ministers of England, uh, particularly because he was the Prime Minister during World War II. And at one point after the war, he was invited back to his alma mater to address the students uh, near the end of his storied life and public service. Suddenly, this five foot five inch bulldog of a man took the platform. Mind you, this is an incredibly historic figure. This, this guy was the guy and he stood before everyone as they waited breathlessly to see what he would say. And they'll never forget what he heard. Young gentlemen, never give up, never give up, never give up, never, never, never. And then he walked off the platform and sat down. That was the extent of this man's speech because sometimes that's all that needs to be said. Church, we can't afford for you to give up. I know it's hard, I get it. I know you've been through some stuff, but there are people five, 10 years down the line, there are people five, 10 minutes past this day that desperately need you to hang in there, that desperately need you to be a Christian. There are your children who desperately need this biblical example, ah, but I'm not a great example, but you're a example, and you're gonna continue to get better. And that's what they need. They need somebody they can look up to. Your grandbabies are going to need somebody that they can look up to. Your neighbors are going to need somebody that they can see an example of. Listen, it's about being present, not perfect. We need you to stay in the game long enough for people to notice you. Never give up. Never, never, never. That's what it means to patiently endure. That no matter what happens, and no matter how scary it gets, and no matter how damaged I may be, I refuse to give up. The second thing is this. Not only patient enduring, but we need patient maintaining. What does patient maintaining mean? It means standing firm. It means not only am I not gonna give up, but I'm not gonna give an inch. I'm gonna hold my ground. I'm gonna stay firm, I'm gonna win. When I played football for a little bit in high school, uh, I was on the line because, you know, big body. And so they had me on the offensive line and the defensive line. As an offensive lineman, I remember the coach telling me something. He says, listen, you don't necessarily got to move him out of the way as long as he doesn't move you. If you can stand your ground, you win. If you hold it in, you win. And it's about not giving up any inches. Listen, you may not be moving forward as you thought you'd be moving forward, but don't allow the enemy to push you back either. It's saying, listen, I'm in a season. It's getting a little bit tougher. It's getting a little bit harder, but I'm not going to give up an inch. I'm not going to give you a foothold. I'm not going to take three steps back. I'm going to at least hold my ground. If I'm not moving forward, the last thing I need to do is move backwards. Listen, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 through 36. says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Listen, it looks like they've had a lot of loss. You lost everything you had, your life was threatened, you've been ridiculed, you've been pushed around. And he's not saying, hey, what you need now is a breakthrough. Oh, churches, we love to talk about breakthroughs. God's gonna give you a breakthrough, you're gonna make it a, well, what if God's just gonna anchor you down for right now? And God's gonna give you a firm foundation. And God's going to make sure that you don't move backwards. What did the author say? Patient endurance is what you need now. Why? So that you can continue to do God's will. Sometimes you got to dig your heels in and hold your ground. Listen, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 through 15. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. I love that. After you've done everything you could to stand, keep on standing. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Notice when he says stand your ground, a breastplate. Shoes, a belt. None of those are weapons. None of those are things that is going to help you advance, but it's things that anchor you in. When it talked about uh, the shoes of readiness or the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, uh, oftentimes soldiers uh, in the Roman army had what essentially would be cliques. There were shoes with spikes on the bottom so that because they're fighting on dirt and on ground, it would hold their ground. Some of us, It's not about necessarily advancing right now, but it's about not declining. It's about holding your ground and saying, listen, I might be a season where things are getting a little bit rougher, but it's again, like we talked about last week, it's just a season. Listen, there are some storms where the best advice is to get low in the basement and hunker down and wait the storm out. That's what it means to be patient. Sometimes it's about waiting out the storm. It's about understanding that right now, It's not my moment. But what I can do is make sure that I don't move backwards. What I can do is make sure that I hold my ground. And what does that look like? That means not losing faith. That means not letting doubt creep in. That means not uh, regressing. And here's what I mean by regress. Uh, you're, You're in certain seasons and you think everything's out of control. And all of a sudden, you stop doing your devotional time with God. That's the worst time to stop. You stop going to church. You missed one, you missed two, suddenly you've been gone three months. And why? Well, it's been a rough season. That means you double down. That doesn't mean you double back. And some of us gotta learn how to double down. We gotta learn how to dig in. We gotta learn how to kick. Hey, gotta get stronger in this season now. And sometimes that just means not allowing the enemy to advance. Not letting them get past you. Patient, maintaining, patient, enduring, One is not going backwards. One is holding your ground. And the third thing is this, this patient running. What is patient running? Consistently moving forward. Now this doesn't make a lot of sense because patience is, it seems like it's a passive action. But patient running, often in scripture, this process that we're talking about, this journey that we're talking about, they use the illustration of marathon. Makes sense, they're in Greece, right? You know, the Olympics are next year, it kinda has this connotation of a marathon. And I touched on this a little bit last year, but if you've ever watched a marathon, one of the things you see is consistency. One of the things you don't see is somebody running a full out sprint the entire way. See, a lot of us think, well, okay, as I start this race, I gotta run as hard and as fast as I can. No, that's a quick way to run out of gas. That's a quick way to lose all your energy. (laughs) It's not about being the fastest because a marathon really isn't a race against other people. I mean, let's be honest. Most marathons, there's what? Three to 10 people at most that are really gonna win and they win it every year. These are professional, mostly Kenyans because they run in the mountains, right? But these are pros, that, That that's what they do. The hundreds of other people who run the marathons are not running for first place. They're running to finish. It's a personal goal. It's a personal understanding that, listen, my goal is to finish this race. I don't care if I finish it dead last as long as I finish it. And in this race that we have, it's not a race against our brothers and sisters. It's not about trying to get to heaven before you. That just means I die first. Go ahead, you can get to heaven first. I got no problem with that. Okay, it's not about trying to be quicker than you and looking to my left and my right and say, well, he seems to be blessed more. They seem to be further longer. He knows more scriptures or he worships better. Listen, we're on different journeys. This is your own personal race. And so don't compare yourself to your neighbor, compare yourself to you. I'm running against my time. I'm running against my personal best. I'm trying to get further than where I've ever been. And I'm trying to finish the race which God has called me to. And the key to that is consistency. It's consistency. I remember I was talking to Pastor Izzy about this. Uh, he, some of you know he's in our National Guard and uh, he's got some fitness tests that they have periodically that he has to make sure he maintains. And so he's been doing some training, hanging out with some of the guys and, and going running. I remember we were talking about on one of his races, he has a time that he's trying to beat. And about halfway in, he looks at his clock and he realizes, I'm doing great time. And so what does he do? He slows up because he thinks I'm doing great. I mean, no problem. I don't have to be as consistent as I've been because I'm doing good timing. What he didn't realize is the only reason he was doing good timing is because he was being consistent. And when he finished his run, he was over the time that he was trying to do. Why? Because he let up when he thought he was doing well. Listen, a lot of us in this race with God, that's what happens. You know, we start doing well. We start feeling like we got things together. And suddenly we stop doing the little things. Man, I'm doing good, Pastor. I don't struggle with this anymore. I don't struggle with that anymore. Like, I've done really well. And so, you know, skipping church once or twice is not a big deal. You know, reading my Bible every day, like I already read it. I read the whole book, Pastor. Awesome. Read it again. And then when you're done reading it again, read it again. Because listen, the Bible is living and active. In other words, there is always something you're going to get out of Scripture. And the words don't change, but you do. And so there's moments where as you grow, you realize, I never noticed that verse before. Yeah, because you weren't in that situation until now. And now all of a sudden, this makes sense. Listen, there are some things I read when I was seven that I didn't get, I didn't understand because of my capacity, because of where I was in life. And now that I'm 38, I read it differently. Now that I'm a father, I read it differently. Now that I'm a husband, I read it differently. Why? Because it's living and active. You will never exhaust the little things but if you stop doing the little things, you stop being consistent. Listen, some of you, your walk with God is not stalled because of some massive sin in your life. It's because you stop doing the little things. Listen, marriages, they don't fall apart just because there's infidelity or some issue in the marriage or fights that they're unresolved. Nine times out of 10, the couple stop doing little things. Stop going on dates, stop having conversations, stop complimenting each other. Stop serving each other. They stop doing little things. And listen, little things, they add up, they add up a lot. right? There was a, a, a famous bank account, and a, a person who worked at a bank, and uh, he decided that he was going to take one cent from every bank account that the bank had, because who's going to notice one penny? And within three months, he had millions of dollars because of all the various accounts that were in the bank, filtering out one penny.) <laughs> millions, until they eventually caught him. Side story, they couldn't prosecute him because theft is, had to have a value of two cents or more and he only stole one penny. <laughs> he had to get the money back and they got him in civil court, but I just thought that was cool. <laughs> listen, one penny adds up if it's consistent enough. And listen, you, you may not think you've made a lot of progress, but just one step every day gets you a little bit further. One prayer a day, one time of reading your Bible a day, one time of worship on your own, like all these little things are consistently adding up to get you to where God's called you to be. Listen, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, being consistently good is far better than being occasionally great. Learn to be consistent. Learn to take that every step and be patient with your consistency. Be patient. Listen, you're not gonna lose 200 pounds overnight, but losing a pound a week is pretty good progress. It just doesn't look great on paper. But it's about being consistent. It's about making sure, hey listen, I may not be where I wanna be yet, but I am grateful to God that I'm also not where I used to be. Worship team, if you can help me out. So you have patient running. Well, let me kind of go back to the beginning to give you an understanding of the flow of this. Patient enduring is not going backwards, never give up. Patient maintaining is holding your ground. Patient running is moving forward. Patient is not passive, okay? It is progressive. You are moving forward in everything that God has called you to do. But there's one more patience that I need to address, one more hupernume that I think is critical and vital to the walk of a believer and to the life of an unbeliever. The fourth thing is this, patient waiting on the promise. Go back to Peter, when we read in the beginning. He said, listen, you've been given these promises. One of those promises, one of the most critical promises we have was Jesus promising to return one day. As a believer, this is not an optional belief. This is critical to your walk with God having faith and trust that one day Christ will return. One of the worst things you can do as a Christian is get comfortable and assume he's probably not gonna come back in my lifetime. Because what if he does? What if he does? What if we don't even get to finish this service and the Lord arrives? And again, we're like, yeah, but (laughs) scripture's been saying that for a thousand years. Like, I mean, They've been saying it. Okay, well, let's see what Scripture says about it. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2 through 10. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. So think about it. This was spoken about in the Old Testament and it's reiterated in the New Testament. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used water to destroy the ancient world with the mighty flood. And by that same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. Scripture tells us that when God ultimately comes, he will destroy this earth with fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. This is a glimpse into the end. So what does this mean for the believers in this room? Number one, that you can never give up. We don't know when this end will come, but we do know that it will come. Don't give up. Number two, you must hold a firm position in your faith. It's not enough to quit. You have to stand firm in what you believe. You have to move forward in what you believe and understand that God will return for his people one day. And because of that return, as believers, our priority should not simply be advancement in life, advancement in career, advancement in comfort, but advancement of the gospel. Because as scriptures just mentioned, that nice house you just bought will burn away. That new car you got not only depreciates, but will be burned away one day. All the luxuries and the riches of this world will stay in this world until it's eventually burned up. But when you store your treasure in heaven, what you do with the advancement of his kingdom lasts for an eternity. Church, we cannot afford for you to quit. We cannot afford for you to fall back. And we cannot afford to not move the gospel forward. That is the purpose of this church. It's not to hype you up, but to make you feel good about yourself, believer. You're already in the game. It's about equipping you to advance the gospel. What does this mean for the unbeliever? If you're in this place and you have yet to give your life to Jesus, you haven't made a commitment, maybe you've been visiting, maybe you've been curious, maybe you've been exploring, but I need to be very straightforward with you. God is being patient. He's giving you ample time, but one day time will run out. One day the world will end or your world will end, whichever comes first. But it is inevitable. A lot of people say, well, for thousands of years, people said that the world's going to end. I get that. But also understand, friend, that for thousands of years, millions upon millions of people's worlds have ended. Either the Lord comes to you or you will go before the Lord. But all of us will stand in judgment one day. The question is this. Are you ready for the day that you will stand before God and give an account for the life that he's given you? So I'm going to ask you to stand, church. I'm going to ask you for just a moment to bow your head and close your eyes. I need to speak to the unbelievers in this room, those of you who have been exploring your faith and have been moving forward. Please do not put off for tomorrow what can be done today. Today can be your day of salvation if you choose to believe and accept what Jesus has said. This isn't about joining our church. That's a whole different process. This isn't about, uh, you know, making a commitment to this body. It's about saying yes to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're in this room and you haven't made that decision yet, or you've been dancing on the line, or maybe you made that decision a long time ago, but truth be told, you did give up. You have walked away. And now is your time to get back in the race. If you're in this place and that's you, just signal me by lifting up your hand. If you want to rededicate your life or if you want to accept Jesus as your personal savior, this morning is your moment. Just lift up your hand and I want to pray for you. If there's anybody here, thank you, brother. Anyone else? Thank you, sister. Thank you. Anyone else? That's me, pastor. Thank you, brother. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, sister. Here's what I'm going to ask. If you've lifted up your hand, do me a favor. Join me up here. I got my prayer team up here. We want to pray for you. Come on. If you lifted up your hand, would you take a moment? Don't be afraid of everybody else. This has nothing to do with anybody else. This is about you and the Lord. Come on, if that's you. Gentlemen, don't be afraid. Sister. Come on, just come by one of my prayer team. They're going to pray with you. Anyone else? Said Pastor, that's me. We don't need to make this decision privately. Jesus didn't do it privately, He did it publicly. If there's anyone else that says that's me, I'm going to give you another moment. Amen. Let's pray this together. Church, would you join me in this prayer? Say, Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I thank you, God. That you don't treat me as my sins deserve. But in this moment, you forgive me of all unrighteousness. And you make me yours. Help me, Lord, to stay consistent. To grow. To be all you call me to be. I thank you for this wonderful gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, would you give it up for the Lord?